Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome back, everybody. I hope everybody's having a good week. This has been a lot of fun. I hope you guys are building up your own portfolios. This is a dividend growth portfolio. We're building up passive income, reinvesting dividends, and we have this whole life cycle of money working here where we deposit money, buy companies that have decent yield that all have that are all broken up into different sectors. M1 Finance makes it so you can buy a lot of different companies and manage them pretty easily. They're all broken up into different sectors and weighted accordingly. The whole portfolio yields about 4% is the average yield of all of these companies and all the weightings uh, together. That 4% yield what it does is it pays dividends. And I look at this and I go, look, let's go to one week view. So since March 27th, it's the third as I'm recording this, $84 in dividends. One week, $84. That's $84 of passive income. Now, I know a lot of you, you know, if you're in a salaried position at a job and you're making $80,000, dollars $100,000, you're like, well, big deal. That's a whole week. You know, I make $300 a day, right? Um, if you're making like close to minimum wage and $84 is, uh, close to, you know, that's a, it's a lot of hours of work right there. But regardless, the, the big thing is with this $84 is it's passive and passive income is tremendously more powerful than active income because you don't have to sacrifice your time for it. That's what passive income means is that I'm not giving my time to earn this income. I set something up. I have an initial investment and then passively I'm getting paid. So $84 in passive income in one week isn't really typical for this portfolio. It's averaging, actually, if I go to the one-month view, yeah, $130 for the month. So on average, with the current amount of money that I have in it, with the current yield, I'm guessing that it's somewhere a little bit above $100 a month now. If I go to the last three months and I average that out, we're just above $100 a month on it. And that should be steadily going up because that $100 a month, is being reinvested. And every time it's paid off, it shows up here. And we can look three days ago. Let's take a look at this. I didn't put any money in. This is dividends of a whole handful of companies here. So this is the cool thing about getting dividend payments in M1 Finance is you get the fractional shares. That's like, that's honestly, out of all the things that differentiate M1 from different, from different brokers is that you get fractional shares. Some typical brokers, they have what's called drip plans where like the holding that pays a dividend, you can buy a fractional bit of that same holding. This is entirely different though because all this does is pay you out cash fractional to your ownership of the share. That money um, gets pooled back together. So all of these pay different amounts, gets pooled back together. That added up to $14.84 and then it bought this. Mostly it bought Duke Energy, which I'm guessing went down in the last few days or this week, and another another utility company, Southern Company. Both solid companies to buy. Long-term, pay high-yield dividends, and then a couple, uh, a couple treasury bonds. So this is really cool stuff to see. $15 was reinvested this week. I didn't have to lift a finger to do it. I didn't even know it happened until after it happened, 
right? That's the power of passive income is you don't even know what's going on. You don't have to pay attention to it. It's just, just happening in the background. 12 hours ago, I had another investment. Dividends, Iron Mountain, Nike, and Coca-Cola, $12. It bought more, more bonds. So how does it decide what to buy? I have the dividends paid here. I didn't initiate this buy. This happened automatically. So we have a setting here at the top here. Auto invest is on. And I could flip this off and then the money would just pool up here in cash if I flip that off. The reason I have it on is because I actually like the way that this works. I set up all the, the holdings. I give them this. There's the actual and target percentage here. So I pretty much tell it what I want it to be. This pie is an illustration of that. The reason that this one is sticking out more is because tech, that means I have more tech than what my target allocation is. I have more finance than what my target allocation is. So the money will be funneled into the underweight holdings until it's perfectly even, and then it will be distributed evenly. And if one of them drops, if one holding drops in value, the money will go to that until it's even according to its allocation. So that's what this is all about. That's what this channel is all about. I'm showing you guys in, in live time, week by week, my portfolio, how I'm building it. It's a very specific strategy. This isn't just general investing, buying a bunch of index ETFs, and then just following the market. This is a very different strategy where you where you implement this dividend growth strategy and the focus is on building up this passive income here month over month and generating a passive income that you don't have to work for. Now, I don't have March yet. I'm guessing I'll be able to add that March in by the end of the week because I don't like to manually add up the dividends. I rather just wait till M1 prepares the monthly statement, which usually happens like the first week of the next month. So it's usually sometime within the first, like late within the first week of the next month. So I should be able to, to give you an update on this chart and see this next month in the first quarter of this year uh, sometime late this week. But in this video, the the topic I wanted to hit on was actually a little bit different than this. I want to zoom out from just this investment portfolio and tell you guys about the title of the video, which is, I'm going to title it, uh, 300,000 net worth by 28 years old. I saw this article and actually it was my older brother. He sent me this article and the article title is how this 28 year old built up 250,000 in savings and plans to retire by 37. And this is from CNBC. And the reason that my brother sent me this article was that at the time that he sent me this, like six months ago, I was 28 at the time. And my net worth at the time was around 300,000 when he sent it to me. And so my brother sent it to me and he's like, hey, look, there's an article written about this guy. And he, he thought it was pretty cool that I had around the same net worth and they thought it was like worthy enough to write an article about it. But the main focuses of it wasn't really his net worth because obviously there's people much younger that are much more wealthy than 250,000. But the purpose of this article, it's, it's not to uh, showboat or, or be um, braggadocious about it. It's to show that with no inheritances, no windfalls, and there's no like big hit in the ball out of the park, no home runs with anything. I think his name is Sean. And he didn't start like any tech startup, right? He didn't go to Stanford. He didn't uh, have anything super amazing happened. And he had a pretty average salary, right? He was making like, I read through it once, but he's making like 60,000. And then later on in his late 20s, got up to like 80,000. So nothing crazy, but he was able to get up to 250,000 net worth by the time he was 28. And my story's somewhat similar. I didn't have any windfalls, didn't have any inheritances. I didn't, you know, my parents haven't been doling me out cash or anything like that. 
And I was able to get up to a net worth of 300,000 by the time I was 28 by doing similar things to to what this article states. So I just wanted to go through it and show you guys the roadmap of how I got there. Um, things that I did that were good and made it made that possible and things that made it uh, and things that I probably could have done better or I actually know that I could have done better to have like a better outcomes. I just wanted to go through all of it and I thought it might be an interesting topic and show you guys a little bit of the my financial story. So first, let me just do a quick breakdown of how I got to the $300,000 number because obviously it's not through my portfolio. My portfolio is 32000 and so there's a lot of net worth to be made up in other areas and the majority of it is in my home. Now, let me just put this up on the screen. The estimated value of my home based off of Zillow just a couple days ago is 481900 and then the mortgage that I currently owe on it is 212500 so 212,500. The difference between 41 and 212 is 269. So right there, the equity in my house is 269. Now, if you add in my portfolio, the value of my portfolio is 32,000. Between the home and the portfolio alone, I get to a number of 301,000. But that's not the only thing that I own that is an asset that has value. I own two cars that are probably worth about 30,000 that neither of them have any any debt on at all. Um as well as it, you know, there's a bunch of stuff in my home that are technically assets that I could sell off if I wanted to and they hold some value and they don't have any debt against any of them, right? So, I don't I don't want to add in those other things and really go that uh granular on it. You get the idea. Most of it was, most of values in my home the reason that I have so much value in my home, and I know a lot of you are saying you can get better returns in the market and do all of that. Well, really what it came down to is I I did want to cash in a portion of my earnings and a portion of my money to be able to enjoy my life now. And I enjoy my life now being in this home in a nice neighborhood and nice area. And, you know, I have kids and, and that type of thing. So there's other considerations besides strictly financial considerations. If there's strictly financial considerations, I would have made other decisions. I'll go into that later. Really, the reason that I have so much value in my home was to keep my mortgage payment low and give me that security of having a low mortgage payment. So although the home is worth almost 500000 my mortgage payment is based off of a $220,000 loan. That's what it was based off of. I paid it down to 212000 So I'll go into that later. I first want to kind of go to reverse and show you just a, a really quick summary of my life up until this point financially. Alrighty, so let me go to the drawing board here that you're all accustomed to, and I'll just map out at least the, the biggest landmarks of everything that happened for me to go to having really a net worth of zero, maybe a couple thousand. I had like a, a cheap car that I owned some of, and then how I got that to the where I am right now. First is college, and that's where I'll start off with. I won't say too much. Here's college campus, college building. Now, I won't say too much on college. I have, a, I have actually a lot of opinions on college, especially with the lending system and the way bankings work, but that's a whole different conversation. What I will say is the biggest factors I think that had an impact on my future wealth with college was that I did it to get a return on my investment. So I actually looked at the market value of the things that I was studying and the things that I was going into. And the second one is that I did not have any debt. I didn't, I didn't, take out a single student loan at any point during college. Those are the two things that I'd hit on. Obviously, 
I went to a, a little bit cheaper schooling compared to the rest of the nation. And I know prices have even inflated more since I went. So in some situations, you have to take out some debt to do it. My only advice on this part of it would be to minimize the amount of debt that you get in with college. Look for degrees where you're... You have to have this nice balance of enjoying what you do, but also making money with it. Because if you're not making any money, then you're not going to enjoy much. But try to find that balance. Find something that has some market value. Don't go to just the most expensive college that you can go into. It's not an infinite return on investment. It's not always a better return on investment to go to a more expensive college. So anyways, that at one point, the biggest thing here is just trying to minimize the amount of debt because that's a hampering thing in the rest of your life. And that's something right? you hear all the time with Dave Ramsey is... The people that call in that are in like tons of debt, tons of trouble, almost always they have some school debt mixed in there. After that, the first job, I'd say it started at 36000 and moved quickly to like forty-five, And then that's kind of where I was for, for a few years there was forty five k. So I'm making 45000 a year. And I was fortunate enough in my line of work in tech to be able to take on side projects and do little hobbies. And I had some of them turn out to where I made, I I was able to sell and make like $15,000 in side work. So I was saving for my normal salary from my $45,000. And then I had other other side projects that I I made like $15,000 on. Then I'd probably save up like $10,000 from my normal just everyday salary, putting it away. And just after a short time, I think like the first year or two, I had about 25000 saved up. And at this age, I was probably 21 years old was I was around there. And I was just getting married. So I had a lot of other, other expenses and that type of thing. My wife was working for the first year and she made, uh, I mean, it was just like 14 bucks an hour, that type of thing. So not a ton of money, but it was enough that we could save up 25000 And this is where all of it began. I'm telling you, Everything started with the initial, I, th- I think it was like 25, maybe a little bit more than 28,000. This amount of money is the most important part of this entire story. So we had no debt and we had this money saved up. And the reason that I think this this uh, this part was so important, this 25,000, is because it really is what got the whole ball rolling for everything else. And I view it in, I'll give an example of, I don't know if you guys know um, like physics, but there's a thing called potential energy, right? And if I have this giant boulder here, and it's right on the edge of a cliff, it has a lot of potential energy. Because if it just shifts over a little bit, gravity is going to pull it to the earth, and that's going to generate a tremendous amount of energy. So sitting close to the edge, it has a lot of potential energy. And that's what I like to give the analogy for having the savings, is when you have something saved up, when you have money saved up, you have a a ton of potential energy to work with. If you don't have that potential energy to work with, then when an opportunity presents itself, you don't have anything to take advantage of it. And when I had this $25,000 saved up, I had I, I waited and we didn't have anything to spend it on until an opportunity presented itself. And that was our first home. And our first home was a complete cash cow. We had this home come up for sale. This is in 2013. And you know, home prices dropped down to like nothing in 2009. And then they slowly started climbing up. In 2013, they're still pretty low. And I had this home come up and they were asking like, like 165. I talked them down to 155. And it was for just a little old fashioned built in the 1940s, uh, 1800 square foot home across the street from a gas station on a busy road Uh, is older in, you know, smaller lots had chain link fence, that type of thing. 
But this is where this is where the real wealth generation happened was buying this first home. And the reason that I was able to buy it is because I could afford the down payment because I had this money saved. Without this money saved, I could never have bought this home. Now, this home that we bought for 155, we had three years later, so we skipped forward from 2013 to 2016. So from 2013 to 2016. I had this home from one, I, I purchased it for 155. When I bought it, I think with the 25,000 down and the down payment and all that, right away I had like, I owed 130,000 on it. So right there I had, a, you know, I had the 25,000 in equity, but this home appreciated in value from 155 to around 220. Now, after doing the math, uh, I paid this down for three years. I, when I originally bought it, the down payment, I still have that money that went to the down payment equity in the house. So it went from 155 to like 130 and then paying it down for a couple of years, it was about like 120, right? So 120 is what I owed on it. I believe it was, I believe it was around there. It's like 120 to 125. But either way, when I sold this home in 2016, I made $100,000 in equity out of that sale. Now, in this three years, I worked aggressively to get a savings. And since this home was so cheap at 155, I mean, that is really cheap. My home payments were like 700 bucks a month. So during this time, my 45,000, I believe it didn't increase crazy amounts. I think it went up to like 60,000. So I was making more money. And the difference between that, I was pretty much banking every year. My wife stopped working actually. So it was just my income and we had a kid. So we had the expenses, but regardless, we were able to save up about 60 to $65,000. The hundred thousand from the sale plus the 65,000 that we had saved up is about $165,000. Now, during this time, I wasn't doing any other real and kind of vesting. The only thing else that I had was an Acorns account, which Acorns is a, it's actually kind of an, a competitor to M1 Finance. I think it's a, a very inferior platform that's more geared towards people that don't really know how to invest or know anything about it or want to learn anything about it. It's more for just people they use it as, as a kind of a savings account. But that's, I remember getting into that when it was in beta and I opened up an Acorns account and I got up to about $6,000 in it and I only made about $600 in it. So other than my home being a investment, quote unquote, at the time I was really just buying it, there wasn't really any too much aggressively investing. I was more just saving and pooling money up. And with the 100,000 plus the 65,000 that I had saved up, that was $165,000. Now, the reason that I sold my home was because I found another home that was in a much nicer neighborhood and a much bigger home is about twice the size. And it, it's not across the street from a gas station. It's in a place that has a you know, bigger lot, nicer backyard, all this type of stuff, right? It's a place that was good enough that I thought this could be a place I live forever. So that's how good this home was. And I had a lot of decisions to make at this point. I had to decide whether I wanted to cash in my 65000 and the 100000 equity in my home and upgrade lifestyle to a better home in a nicer neighborhood. Now, the, there was other options that were financially more prudent than this. Another option would have been to, instead of buy a bigger home like this, buy another smaller home, another smaller home for, for quite a bit cheaper. Instead of paying this one, I bought it for about 375. So that was a sale price. It's obviously appreciated in value as well. 
But I could have bought another home for like 220 what I was selling this one for. I could have just put the down payment and then I could have owned two homes, used this one as a rental and did what my dad does renting out apartments. And that was a huge consideration for me. I was actually initially planning to do that. But the fact that I had so much equity in my home made it so that that keeping it just felt like I wasn't uh, that I wasn't using the money in the best way I could. And a lot of the consideration came down to the lifestyle part of it. So like I said, there's multiple considerations here. It's not just financial decisions that you have to make in your life. There's also things you have to consider. At the time I have, I have a, a family, I have a wife and I have a kid and, the, and then I have a second kid. And so living across the street from a gas station where people race by at 50 miles an hour, 40 miles an hour, they're taking turns. There's lots of trucks and bikers coming in all the time. All that type of stuff was definitely a consideration in me wanting to move to a nicer place in a neighborhood that was a, a huge upgrade. And even though there was better financial decisions, my thought was that if I can get this new home that's that's a, a really nice home that is a good enough one that I could retire in and be happy, if I could get that down to a price where it's so affordable and I never feel stressed making that house payment, I never have to feel like I'm house broke, that would be a good deal for me. And that would be worth cashing in all of this money for. Because a home is a huge part of your life and you know you spend so much time there that for me, that, that made the consideration worth it. Now, what I did was I got this 165000 the 100000 from the equity from the sale, 65000 from loss of just grinding and side work and saving, all that type of stuff. And I was able to find this home for three seventy-five, and three seventy-five with the $165,000 down payment makes 210000 Now, the reason that the mortgage was 220 is because like 10000 goes to fees and uh, all these different fees you have to pay when buying the home. My mortgage on it was about 220000 the same price that I actually sold this home for. So the person that bought this home has the same mortgage that I'm paying on this one. And that's what I wanted to have was a lifestyle where I don't have a lot of stress with the place that I'm living. Now, now that leads me to where I'm at right now. This home hasn't been a bad investment if you're adding up the equity in it. It went from 375 to 481 That's where it's been at for a while is around 480 I don't know if it's going to go down in value or up in value. Frankly, I don't really care. I actually do care in the fact that I wish it would go down in value. And the reason why is because is because the state adjusted the amount of value of my home and they charge me a considerable more in taxes every year that it goes up in value like this. So although it's it's great and it makes you feel good on paper that you're not upside down on your home and I have all this equity in it, my my wish is that it would go down in value so that the city taxes don't keep increasing. And I can argue that they shouldn't have an increase. Now, that's where I'm at. Most of the value is tied up in my house. I could sell that and get all that value out of it if I really wanted to. I don't plan on doing that because I have other alternative ways that I plan on creating value. And that brings me to where this portfolio is. If I look at this portfolio, this is a new method for me generating wealth. I'm not able to really buy an apartment right now, a rental apartment, because the base price of them is so expensive that I had to look for another vehicle to be able to generate an investment and generate wealth. And to me, buying a portfolio like this, buying into a portfolio like this is very similar to owning a rental property. You have 
your base equities that they fluctuate with capital appreciation and the capital appreciation can go down and up with the market just as it would if you own a rental. But then you have the dividends, which are like the cash flow from the rent. So you have the two different components here, the value of the property, and then you have the rent cash flow. I think dividend investing is very similar to income investing with income rental properties. And that's what I plan on doing. And originally when I started doing dividend dividend growth investing, my goal was to do it until I could afford a physical rental. But since I've started, I've actually enjoyed it so much, and it's been such an actual passive thing, and I've seen the work that actual physical rentals take with with the, the stress of the property and keeping them up and going there when things break, and I worked on all that type of stuff as I was a kid, that I might actually just continue with a dividend growth portfolio rather than transitioning into rental properties. Or down the road when I have... a huge account value here. I can look into putting down payments on those later. But regardless, that's where this is headed now. This is where it was before, where started off with not much, had this original savings, which got me a property, which went up in value. I was able to cash that in plus the savings along the way to substantially upgrade mine and my family's lifestyle and do it without having the stress that comes along with a huge mortgage. The amount that they approve you for with mortgages is kind of crazy. I could have gotten approved for almost double what I did. The The amount that I'm earning compared to the amount the mortgage is, is very reasonable. It's not a stressful amount. And that's what you want to look for when you're buying a home with that step. But the the big part of the story is that there wasn't anything too crazy. And the thing that I'd like to highlight the most is having that original savings that allows you to look for these great opportunities because I could have never gotten the ball rolling without this 25000 If I lived a lifestyle where I always just spent money as it came in, where I never saved up that original 25000 it never would have spurred the conversations of looking for a house and getting in one. If I never looked for the house, I wouldn't have bought the house that appreciated from 155 to 220 in three years. All of that wouldn't have happened without this original savings. If there's any message with all of this, it's to have that savings. Use it as potential energy. When something comes along and you want to crush it, just tip that boulder over. But you can't do it if it's a couple pebbles. You know, you can't take a, you can't take advantage of these deals if you don't have any money to. That's the big message. The other one in this is I'd say is to try to avoid debt along the way because if you get wrapped up in that too much, it's just going to delay this whole storyline. Unless you have from the debt, such an incredible income to make up for it, a lot of times it's better just to avoid it completely. I hope this was helpful and that it gives you a little overview of my story. What I plan on doing is just seeing your guys' kind of reaction to it and things that you'd like to know more about. I thought it would be interesting so you guys can see what my financial journey has been, what's led me to, to where I'm at currently. It's nothing too crazy or too exceptional. I hope I didn't sell it that way, but I thought it would be interesting to say the least because the dividend portfolio is just one part of your whole financial your whole financial process. So anyway, I'll uh, be doing some other videos. I have one that I think will be interesting to you guys. I'm going to tease it here, but I have one where I'm going to show the three different places that Dave Ramsey gives totally wrong advice. I agree with him on probably 95% of things, but there are three distinct things that are advice he gives out that I think is wrong. And I think I have a pretty strong, compelling argument to back up my claims that he's wrong on these three things. So I'll share that with you guys as well. And it might not be the very next episode this weekend, but it will be like within the next seven days. So I hope you guys enjoy that one as well. We'll see you.